Hi, this is Dr. Mike Chupp, and you are listening to CMDA Matters, the weekly podcast of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Well, welcome to the first episode of CMDA Matters in 2023. I'm just back from a couple of weeks of vacation during this past Christmas season, and I sure hope that you enjoyed a wonderful time celebrating and honoring our Savior's birth. Well, I want to start out this year's interviews by featuring a CMDA member who experienced the loss of his job in just the last couple of years as he faced adversity at his medical school and stood up for the truth as a teaching professor on a medical campus. I asked him to join me and to share his story. So just keep listening and you will hear more from Dr. Scott Armistead. Well, for several months, I have been thinking about bringing to CMDA Matters a special program, Cameos of Courage in Healthcare. And with me in the studio today is someone that I thought I would launch uh, one of these programs is Dr. Scott Armistead. Scott is a family physician and uh, actually is attending our Staff Connections Conference, which we have once a year because Scott has been a field staff, been volunteering with CMDA for, for how many years, Scott? Since we got back from Pakistan in 2015. Okay. Has been working with students and some grads over that time. And uh, Dr. Armistead and I uh, share a number of things in common, not the least of which is that uh, about the same time period, I was in East Africa and you were in the country of Pakistan at a hospital called Bak Hospital, right? That's correct. Yeah. A difference, though, between us, I, I came back to the States in 2016 and came to this wonderful Christian headquarters called, you know, CMDA here in Bristol. You, on the other hand, went into a secular environment, I believe, at VCU. Is that right? That's correct. Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond. What job did you have there? So I worked for the family medicine department in a clinic for underserved people. We had a lot of poor urban, some rural, and then lots of immigrants. And uh, started pretty much right away at that responsibility? And, I did, and yeah. 20s. And I was heavily involved in teaching because yeah. of it being part of the university. And you've been a, a big part of the CMDA group, I think they're in Richmond, Virginia, uh, since all that time, even before you came back. Were you part of CMDA there in Richmond? I was, yeah. I was, I was part of CMDA even in medical school. Uh, yes. yeah, another thing we share in common, yes. for sure. Well, I was thinking this morning as I was preparing to talk to you about a scripture um, in John, uh, John 16, where Jesus uh, says to those last hour or so that he's with the disciples before going out to Gethsemane and then being arrested. He said, guys, they're going to put you out of the synagogues, and they'll do this because they've not known the Father or me. Mm. And I think our listeners have heard me once or twice in the past refer to our medical universities, our training schools, as synagogues of the ideologues in America mm. today. And you've been put out of the synagogue. Why don't you tell our listeners what happened uh, about a year ago? Yeah, well, it's a long story, <laughs> and, and it took place the over readers, a Reader's of time. Digest version, yeah, Scott. Yeah, Reader's Digest. It's, it started with an intake form at the clinic where I was working, which ask the normal past medical surgical family history, but it also asked every patient who came in before they came in, they received this form, you know, gender aside at birth. But then it asked these very invasive questions like, I'm a male who has sex with men, who has sex with transgender men, who has sex with women, who has sex with transgender women, who has anal, oral, vaginal. And this is a form that went to 
every patient. So I had all these women um, from Syria and Bangladesh and Pakistan and India and then lots of fairly conservative urban African-Americans. And it was completely culturally inappropriate. You, you knew that from many years working, yes, working yes, in Pakistan. Yes, and, and I addressed it from the area of cultural competency, explaining honor-shame cultures, explaining how this is a, these are appropriate questions to ask in a particular context with a patient between a doctor and a patient, but not in a general intake form. And it went nowhere. My nurse said, I wouldn't want my mother to see this form, but it went nowhere at all. It started with that, and then it became an issue of the students with whom I was working being told that when they met patients, when they interviewed patients, they had to introduce themselves with their preferred pronouns and ask the patients their preferred pronouns. And I knew that that wasn't the way that I wanted it to happen at my, my clinic with my patients because my patients would say, what are you, what is this? What are you talking about? Can't you see I'm an African-American woman? And um, so I addressed it at the level of the institution on behalf of the students who also, those who had a more integrated view of anthropology. They were distraught, right? They, they didn't want to do it, um, but they didn't feel like they had a voice. So I tried to speak on their behalf. So I, f I felt like I was sort of speaking on behalf of the patients to protect them from this very invasive, inappropriate intake form, particularly my Muslim patients, whom I had a lot of because I could relate to Muslims because I'd worked with Muslims for 16 yeah. years. So fast forward to us, then there, there was an incident in which you were sharing with some students or residents uh, later and just talking about how the integration of, you know, who we are, identity with our body. Yes. Yeah. I had a conversation with my group of medical students. I had eight at the time, four and four in two separate groups. And once I pushed back some, the university did say, well, maybe this is not a one size fits all. So they said that the students should talk with their preceptor. I was a preceptor at the time about the whole issue. So I just brought it up and I said, you know, in our particular cultural context with my patients, this kind of thing would be perceived as bizarre and would really be a little bit odd. And then I also said, and I'm not sure that the normalization of language, which separates the person from the body, sort of pits the person against the body, is a good thing for our culture. So that when I think about a human being, I think about a, a human as an integrated, embodied whole. So I said to the group of students, so when I look at you, I would not think you are a person who happens to be in a woman's body, but an integrated, embodied woman. Did you see heads nodding up and down like an agreement, or did you see grimaces on faces at well, that time? I saw both. So there was one grimace, and I think that that grimace went to HR and then initiated this process, which then got me accused of harassment and discrimination and put on... I guess, probation in a way, told that I couldn't work with students for six months. And when students were just a big Was there any of sort of inquiry, life, Scott? I mean, did they ask other students what had taken place? They did not ask other students what had taken place. And there was a, a colleague of mine there at the time, and uh, that colleague was told that there would be some sort of talk with her about what actually occurred. But that never happened. And that never happened. And she was very disappointed. And I was very disappointed as well. because So I felt like it was very inadequately done. And then there were accusations that I said that transgender people were, quote, broken and needed to be, quote, healed. And that conversation never, never happened. happened. 
So you were taken to the woodshed, I guess, or at least went through some sort of um, classes to help you. How, how did that work out? What was that like? Yeah, well, it was suggested that I have some re-education regarding diversity and inclusion. But there was quite a bit of freedom to do that in a way that I wanted. So I proposed that I meet with a, an African-American or seminary prof to talk about embodiment. And I ended up doing that and seized the opportunity. And it was actually a really wonderful focus because I looked at the sort of the history of what it means to be a human in terms of an embodied creature throughout different periods of time. So I looked at early church fathers. I looked at sort of Hinduism because of having been in South Asia all those years. I looked at feminist theology and I looked at even queer theology just to try to understand what is going on here? What sort of view of what it means to be a human has led us at this point in history to accept this incredible division between the person and the body? And what I would view as a, as a dehumanizing disrespect for the body. So as you were diving into the literature and, and history, it, what did you come across that you found very powerful in terms of biblical references from a Christian worldview that really helped you to sort of capture the concept of embodiment? Yes. Particularly interesting to me was a whole book that I read on the evolution of Augustine's thought. So he was a, a bishop in the fourth century, and he started out as a very strong Gnostic who thought that the body was the lowest part of what it means to be human and that the real human is in sort of the spirit and the soul. But he came out of that and became a Christian. So it was a book that chronicled the evolution of his change of his paradigm shift in terms of understanding the body. So he encountered the Old Testament with its theology of creation, creation being good, which affirms the body. Matter matters because it matters to God. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, the body is a good thing that's been given by God. So he started changing as he encountered the Old Testament. And then with the incarnation, the fact that God would become, of all things, a body, it incredibly affirms the, the status of the human body. And then he, he interacted and engaged with the whole idea of the resurrection of the body and what does that mean. So we don't end up with disembodied souls like the Gnostics thought in the afterlife. We actually end up with resurrected bodies. So there's the continuity between this body and the glorified body in the Christian view. So it was an incredible paradigm shift that Augustine had mm -hmm. and that view which has an incredible respect for the body, I think has been profoundly important, even in the, in the evolution of medicine in the United States. And then later, I, I looked at a, an article about the changes of 19th century Brahmin uh, Indians that became uh, Christians and then theologians. And uh, Hinduism is also very Gnostic in the sense that you, you, know, you escape the cycles of the body. Just for, for our listeners' benefit, the way I remember what the Gnosticism is, is uh, nasty schism. Nasty yeah. schism, Gnosticism, <laughs> and there's a schism between mind and, and, mind and, and, and body. And mind and body. That's right. And it was, a, it was a very dominant heresy in the early church. And so the, the early church fathers and mothers dealt 
really intensely with this thing. So, so they thought that it, it would be inconceivable that God would become a body, so that Christ could not be fully man, because the body had a low status. The real self was the spiritual self. Well, let's fast forward. So you went through this period of time, came back on staff. What, what happened next? I mean, you, you were eventually cast out of the synagogue. So what happened? Yeah. So after the six months was over, I was called to a meeting and told that my contract was not being renewed. I was told that it had nothing to do with what had happened previously and that mm-hmm. it had to do with clinical missed calls and that kind of stuff. But I looked at all of those, asked about all of those, and they really amounted to nothing. So what did you do next, Scott? I looked for a job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I found a job in private practice and have continued to, you know, care for underserved people and have sort of branched out with some refugees since I relate to particularly Afghans that we've had a lot of. But I also have we've we've had a big focus in CMDA among the student ministry, just understanding what does it mean to treat embodied human beings? What is the meaning of the body? What is the Christian tradition, this rich tradition based on the Old Testament and the incarnation and the resurrection of the body, resurrection of Christ himself? What does it mean in terms of how we treat humans? Who is it that we're actually treating? And how, is, how have we gotten to this point in cultural history? And then how do we navigate? Because it's very complicated right now. What have you learned in this process, Scott, the takeaway that our listeners who are, many of them are going to be facing this, if they haven't already, issues of conscience. And I've seen a videotape coming out of a large university recently that was captured and the governor made a big deal of it, of someone at the university saying, hey, if you're going to talk about conscience issues in healthcare, this is not the place for you. You need to think about working somewhere else. So this is coming to a university, a synagogue for the idea uh, dialogues mm-hmm. near you. So what, what did you learn and what can you pass on uh, what God has shown you? I think God prepared me by 16 years in Pakistan. You know, I was, I was part of a Christian minority there in a world of blasphemy laws. So it was so fascinating to be um, the university that I returned to was so different from the university that I had left, you know, 16 years before the world, the culture that I had left. And it felt very much like Pakistan in terms of blasphemy laws. Only um, you were never cast out of Pakistan. I was never cast out of Pakistan, <laughs> yes. And, 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 you know, there haven't been terrorist attacks in America in the sense that there are in Pakistan with bomb blasts and that kind of thing. But the blasphemy laws create a milieu in which it, certain things can't be talked about. And there's a fear. And that's what I sensed when I got to the university. It took me a couple years to figure it out. And I was very much welcomed because I had all this international experience. I was so multicultural. But I guess the lesson is that to follow Jesus is going to be difficult. And it's difficult for minorities in countries like Pakistan. And it looks like as though it's going to be difficult in the United States. So the question is, how do we navigate that, especially because it's a fairly new thing in the United States. And I think we can learn a lot from our international brothers and sisters who've been dealing with this for a long time. So to listen well to the global church, I think would be something we could do. The other thing is to think uh, deeply about how do we personally deal with this. And my wife and I have been thinking a lot about joy and Mm. joy strength and the thing that sustains us. I remember this moment 
as I was going into the meeting with the department head, and I knew that I was probably going to be removed, and I looked into her eyes. We just sat there and looked at each other with smiling eyes for about a minute, and I drew incredible strength from that. And it's my model of the gospel as well, that God looks at us and delights in us and tells us who we are and that we belong to him. So that kind of uh, encounter with God, that in kind of encounter with each other brings joy. The delight of another brings joy. And I think that joy is the thing that has sustained me and will continue to sustain me. And I think it's the key to our own sustenance, our own ability to handle adversity in the United States. How would you respond, Scott, to some Christian leaders in healthcare, including within the realm of CMDA, who would say, our students didn't sign up for this. Medical school's already extremely hard. And then throw into it this, these issues of, of the LGBTQ culture, that we, should make it, we shouldn't make it hard on the students, that we should maybe hide our position statements on some of the more controversial areas of transgender and homosexuality and so forth. How would you respond to that? Because you've been working with students, I mean, both before and after your uh, excommunication. Yes, yes. It's, it's complex. Yeah, because students have come to me and they've said, you know, Dr. A, you can get a job if you get kicked out. And, and I did, but I'm a first-year medical student. If I say something, I know that they will send me to the dean's office, and that might be the end of my career. And I'm afraid. Uh, it's, it's a reality for medical students now. And I think there's a time to speak and a time to not speak and a way to speak and a way to not speak. I thought that I was speaking very philosophically. I was. I was speaking very philosophically very um, non-religiously in a sense, just thinking, oh, yeah. Certainly non-judgmentally. And non-judgmentally, like. yeah, we just sort of add in an academic environment in which there should be a free movement of ideas, an exchange of ideas. So it's complex, but I certainly do not think that we should abandon truth because truth is actually beautiful and truth eventually will win and it's actually dehumanizing. What's happening now is dehumanizing to our patients. So the normalization of dehumanization that we see in the, the denigration of the body, not only in this issue, but in the abortion issue, it it's all has to do with denigration of the body. We can't let it happen. We can't be silent because we care about people. And Jesus said, everyone on the side of truth will listen to me. And there'll be plenty of pilots out there that say, what in the world is truth anyway? But plenty who will through the Holy Spirit's guidance, um, respond to us mm. uh, when we speak truth, biblical truth. I, I want to thank you for, for taking uh, the time to join us today here for the very first cameo of uh, courage in healthcare. Any other thoughts about this whole process? And uh, you're content and happy uh, with where you are now in your practice? Uh, yes, I'm continuing to have students uh, come to the new practice, and I can still take them on international mission trips. So that gives me uh, joy. Caring for patients, uh, working with students gives me joy. And thanks be to God, I'm able to do both. Well, there's a scripture I want to close with from 1 Corinthians 16, Paul talking to the church in Corinth, verses 13 and 14. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Hmm and do everything in love. And I believe from what your testimony today that you are a poster professional uh, mm -hmm. for putting that into practice. Mm -hmm. So 
Thank you, Dr. Armistead, for joining us today on CMDA Matters and uh, for inspiring me today with walking joy strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And I'm thinking Romans 5, we can rejoice too whenever we run into problems and trials mm-hmm. because Amen. we know uh, eventually there's a couple, three steps in there, but eventually we get to hope and this hope does not lead to disappointment. Mm-hmm. Amen. So God bless you as you continue to represent him among students and your patients there uh, among refugees. And by the way, listeners, uh, Dr. Armistead, is one of our contributors to faith prescriptions. And your topic, remind us uh, the name of your topic. Yeah, international mission. International mission, introducing faith in an international mission setting. So you can go to our learning center and find that particular module by Dr. Scott Armistead. Thanks again. Thank you. I'm so grateful that Dr. Armistead was willing to join me this week and and to share his testimony about seeing God's grace and experiencing joy in the midst of what you'd have to agree could have been a very discouraging situation there in Richmond, Virginia. Well, for our listeners today, I hope Scott's testimony reminds you of how God is always with us and his reassuring presence. And Scott described a joy strength that was the key to his handling, together with his wife, that adversity. Just as it says in Deuteronomy 31.8, don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Well, I decided that for 2023, Psalm 139 is going to be my psalm of the year, if you will. I was encouraged by John Patrick to choose a psalm every year. So I've chosen Psalm 139. And in it, David says of the Lord, you go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. I can never escape from your spirit or get away from your presence. I hope that Scott's story also helps us each to understand that our faith sometimes requires us to stand up for truth. And at some point, friends, We're going to be faced with persecution, maybe discrimination, and sometimes, like for Scott, consequences for our faith in today's culture. Your freedom to practice medicine by conscience will likely be threatened. It reminds me of what Dr. Margaret Cottle from Canada said just a few months back when she joined Jeff Barrows and I to talk about assisted suicide. She said, it's coming for you and we need to get involved. One of the ways you can get involved is through CMDA's advocacy department, which focuses on advocating for ethical practices that are based upon biblical truth and the traditional Hippocratic Oath. Those ethical practices impact how we respond to issues like assisted suicide, right of conscience, abortion, transgenderism, and other issues. Through a network of volunteers and other like-minded organizations, we have boots on the ground across the country to fight against the tidal wave of legislative and cultural changes in both federal and state arenas that are facing Christians in healthcare today. We need your help, friends, to promote our Christian worldview in all 50 states. To get involved, just contact CMDA's advocacy and communications team by using the email address advocacy at cmda.org. You can also make a difference for healthcare students who are facing these issues by getting involved with CMDA's campus and community ministries. 
We have more than 330 campus ministries on campuses across the country, and these campuses represent 90% of our nation's healthcare schools. Those students depend upon graduate healthcare professionals like you to help mentor them through their training. Just like we discussed with Dr. Armistead, today's students, well, they're facing more adversity and different kinds of challenges than I faced when I was in medical school. Investing in the lives of today's healthcare students is so important to us here at CMDA. It's my prayer that it is important to you as well. We need many mentors to step forward and join us in this work as we help educate, encourage, and equip the very next generation of healthcare professionals. If you'd like to get involved with mentoring students through CMDA's campus and community ministries, I just want to encourage you, visit ccm.cmda.org or email ccm at cmda.org today. At the end of the interview today, you heard me briefly mention faith prescriptions because Scott Armistead is featured in one of those episodes. And here's Jamie with a little more information about this on-demand video series. Those of us who serve in the healthcare professions have the best opportunities to point individuals toward Christ. One of our big priorities here at CMDA is to help train healthcare professionals to integrate their faith into their practice of healthcare. That's why we produce faith prescriptions. This on-demand video series will teach you to share your faith in ethical and appropriate ways with colleagues and patients. And it will also teach you to pray with patients and much, much more. To get started with the series, which is free to CMDA members, visit the CMDA Learning Center at cmda.org learning. Before I close out this week's announcements, there are two resources in the CMDA bookstore that I want to remind you about. I've talked about this several times in the past, but these books are so pertinent to the topic as we start a new year. The first is The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Dr. Carl Truman. In this book, Dr. Truman analyzes the development of the sexual revolution as a symptom rather than the cause of the human search for identity over a couple of centuries. He surveys the past, brings clarity to the present, and gives guidance for the future as we Christians navigate the culture in humanity's ever-changing quest for identity. The second book, also by Dr. Truman, a shorter version, is called Strange New World. It offers a more concise presentation and application of some of the most critical topics of our day. You can find both of these books and many others in the CMDA Bookstore. Just go to cmda.org bookstore. Well, God willing, I'll be back next week. And you don't want to miss my conversation with Dr. Andre Van Maal. He's one of the prominent voices in the battle to protect children from the transgender tornado that's wreaking havoc in an already despairing younger generation of teens, adolescents, and even children. Andre will be joining me to give us some very important updates from hearings here in the U.S., as well as news from Europe where he recently traveled and he provided expert opinion for a number of parliamentarians in the European Union. As we close, I'd like to repeat those words that Dr. Scott Armistead shared with us just a few minutes ago. We should not abandon truth, he said, because truth is actually beautiful and truth eventually will win. 
I think it's a wonderful reminder of the truth of the gospel that we get to carry with us each day as we bring the hope and healing of Christ to our world through healthcare. Well, that's what matters to CMDA, and CMDA matters more than ever before. God bless you today. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.